weren't we watching movies where the future was set in 2024 or something like this? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, haven't we already passed when Blade Runner happens? I didn't watch the Blade Runner series, so I'm not sure. Neither did I. I'm talking out of my ass here, but um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that happened. We've made it, Liz, 2022. We did it. We did it. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. It feels like the future. I know. It does feel like the future. The Blade Runner was set in 2019 when it first came out. Crazy. <laughs> Three years ago. Crazy. Ancient history. Yeah. Blade Runner is now the past. Anywho, Happy New Year. Here we are. Happy New Year. Um, what's been on top of mind for you? Um, many things have been top of mind for me. Uh, Omicron is one of them, but I have nothing new to say about it. And Succession is another one, but I've already talked about it. So I'm going to talk about something I'm listening to, which is the cast album to the musical Six. Are you familiar with this musical? I am not. Wow. Okay. So it's a musical about the six wives of Henry VIII. Um, There are only six people in the show, these six wives, but each of them has been reimagined as a different pop star. So one is in the mold of Beyonce, one is in the mold of Molly Cyrus, Adele, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my gosh. And they each get to tell their stories from their own point of view. So it's like this feminist 21st century retelling of the story. Plus pop stars, is this like made for Liz? Like Truly, what? truly <laughs> everything I love in one musical. So the concept is so compelling and the execution totally delivers because it could have been cheesy as hell right but the songs are really good they're super catchy each queen has very clear references to the pop star they're modeled after and it like it made me go very deep uh into the six wives of henry the eighth who i didn't know a ton about but it also gave me this like entirely different perspective on them so Just to like give one example, Henry's fifth wife was Catherine Howard. She was beheaded. And basically like the story is basically that she's a slut. And so she was fooling around with somebody else and off with her head. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, every queen gets like her own big number and they completely the, the writers of this musical completely reframed it so that her childhood trauma of being groomed by her music teacher, which is totally true. Apparently he slept with her when she was 13. They retell her story to show how she keeps being taken advantage of by mm-hmm. men in power. Mm-hmm. So over the course of her song, like she sings about all the different men she's been entangled with, and they brilliantly use this motif of, I think this one is different over and over again until the end she gets to, why did I think this one would be different? And you hear this whole evolution and like, I cannot get over how they conveyed this whole arc in one song and how it like completely changed how I understand this historical figure who has most, mostly been portrayed as a slut. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, and like it, it debuted on Broadway um, actually pretty recently. It was supposed to debut on March 12th, 2020, which was the day New York shut down. Yeah. Um, so their debut was postponed like a year and a half. There was a whole daily episode about it, which is how I found out about it. Um, but it's on Broadway now. It was written by two people who were Cambridge students when they wrote it. And they're now obviously like hot shit on Broadway. There's clear shades of Hamilton, which I'm sure you can hear even in my summary, like this modern retelling of an old story with a diverse cast and like lots of modern music references. This whole like telling a story about then with a cast that looks like now. Um, And yeah, I've, it's like, it's really fun to listen to and I hope I can get to New York to see it before it shuts down. I love when, when, when things like that, like those concepts are executed well. Yes. Yeah. And it really could have sucked. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, in the same way, Hamilton could have also sucked. Right. But like to successfully provide like a new popular retelling, a completely new conceptualization, like and to make it in a way that's like to make it fun. And you know what I mean? It's it's just such a tricky needle to thread, but they did it. 
And anybody can listen to it on Spotify right now. So the musical is called Six. Six, okay. Six the musical, yeah. Great wreck, as usual. <sighs> Thanks, friend. Uh, what's top of mind for you? So I'm on vacation, so I've been like just binging. That's oh, basically what I've been bless. doing. Mm-hmm. So good. And that's what I was doing on New Year's Eve. I rang mm. in the New Year as I normally do, which is alone in front of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> but I want. I, I think I watched the wrong. It's 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 kind of funny. I've been going back and forth on this. It was it was the wrong movie to watch in the sense that it was not good for my mental health. Uh-huh. But it was the right movie for the time. And did the you watch I, Don't Look Up? I watched Don't Look Up. <gasps> Chris, I also watched Don't Look Up. You watched it? I sure did, but okay. I want to hear you talk about it first. Yes. So just I'm I'm gonna spoil the movie. So if you haven't seen the movie, I'm talking to the listeners out there, I would skip this part because there's no way to talk about what I want to talk about without spoiling the movie. So refer to the show notes. We'll have the minute you could just skip it. Okay, so I watched Don't Look Up. We both watched it. And yes, it was I think I hated it because it was too on the nose. I mean it was mm-hmm. it was it was good. I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but I hated it because it's too it was just like it hit things too on directly on the head. Um, so for those of you who haven't watched it, there's a comet barreling towards Earth. Mm-hmm. Scientists have have seen it. They've mapped it. They know it's going to hit Earth, and they try to raise it um, to the political leaders who are basically Trumpian. I think mm-hmm. the the, mm-hmm. the president is played by Meryl Streep, but she's essentially a Sarah Palin like Donald Trump kind of character, and mm-hmm. so are their supporters. Um, and so they take this news and they're just like, oh, well, how can this affect us in the midterms? That kind yeah. of like thinking. Right. Uh, and the scientists, they try to uh, kind of disseminate this news in other ways. Um, they get blocked in other ways. But eventually the world kind of like, like eventually the political leaders like, you know, catch on and they're like, hey, we have to do something about this. But then like an Elon Musk character comes mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. and says, hey, I think we can stop this comment, but also profit off mining yes. the comment. Yes. And so all plans get scuttled. In the end, the comet hits Earth. Everyone dies. End of movie. Welcome to 2022. That's basically mm-hmm. how I felt. I mean, what a day to watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of thoughts, obviously. I thought it was really funny how mm-hmm. it is a comedy, by the way, for those who haven't seen it. Yeah. And there is this one scene where people can actually see now physically with their own eyes the comet coming. Mm-hmm. And even the people who believe the scientists to start with start freaking out. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something very, very true about human nature. Even for me, I'm going to include myself in this. It's like it's one thing to kind of like abstractly understand something is happening. Yes. But when you see it directly and when you see it for yourself and when it impacts you directly, it hits at a whole different level. Yes. And basically, the the thing that I was really stuck on with the movie, there's a lot of different things that really stu- stuck out for me. But the one part that really stuck out with me was when people started seeing the comet, social media started mobilizing mm-hmm. in support of doing something to do something about the comet, right? Mm-hmm. So the scientists, have, like, they were struggling to get their message out. But now they have the tools of social media on their side. There's a hashtag that comes up. It was like, just look up. Mm-hmm. It's like, just look up and look at the comet. It's right there. And right. all of a sudden you see the momentum change. Like all of a sudden you have like all these people like supporting the scientists and like listening and like disseminating the message and resonating the message out. You know, the hashtag goes viral and everything. On the other side, it seems, I think it's like, you know, like supposed to be the the anti-maskers or whatever. So then like a counter uh, movement comes up where it's like the don't look uppers mm-hmm. and they're like don't look up and there's like Trump rallies like where people are like don't look up you know it's a conspiracy the elites are like you know looking down on you and all that and this the part that really stuck out to me was this um this benefit concert that Ariana yes. Grande put together uh-huh. where they're all there and it's supposed to be like the progressives that are like all singing a song about looking up and like looking at the stars and everyone's like celebrating and it it feels like something's being done. Yes. It feels like you're building momentum towards a solution. Correct. But actually nothing's being you're done. You're doing nothing. You're doing nothing. You're singing a song. Yes. And that really that really like resonated with me because I kind of feel like we're living in a moment like that mm-hmm. where 
lot, a lot of the people I'm allied to and a lot of the movements I'm allied to, sometimes I feel like we're just singing a song mm-hmm. where there's this other room of imbeciles that are actually like in charge of making decisions. But like in the background, the subtext of me watching this movie has been me following the series that The Atlantic has been putting out recently about the threat to democracy. I mean, we're coming up on the um, anniversary of January 6th. Mm -hmm. One year ago, like there was an attack on the Capitol and, you know, just shocking. You didn't think that something like this was possible in the U.S. Um, Mm -hmm. And since then, The Atlantic has been, it's not just The Atlantic, but The Guardian, The New York Times, all these newspapers have been like sounding the alarm that basically under under like very quiet, under the covers, Republican operatives in, at the state level have been quietly passing laws and getting them like the people who have denied like that January 6th happened even or people who have like who people who are propagating the, you know, the the big lie movement, which is that, you know, that Democrats essentially stole the election from Donald Trump in 2020. Mm-hmm. They're electing themselves into like state, like secretary of state positions or like these like unknown, you know, judge of election type of positions, mm-hmm. basically laying the groundwork for to be able to like institutionally steal elections in the future. Mm-hmm. And the one thing about this movie that really struck me was that the people in power at the time were making all of these foolish decisions, which then led to the world being blown up, essentially, Mm -hmm. by this comet. And there was nothing really to do to stop them. They were the ones in power to do this thing. And meanwhile, we were all singing songs at a benefit concert, thinking we were, like, actually changing something. Yeah. And that really, I don't know, that really bothered me. That really, like, shook me because of, I think it was, like, when I was watching the movie and what I was reading kind of, like, came together Mm -hmm. and it was just not a great way to it's not a great headspace to be coming into 2022 yeah yeah no that makes so much sense that scene really stuck out to me too because there is truly nothing dumber than being at a benefit concert to stop an asteroid from hitting the earth right (laughs) there is nothing more futile um and i feel like it kind of like laid it provide it just laid in stark relief like all of our like performative activism mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. going to a i mean the whole movie is an allegory for climate change right that's like adam mckay has made that very clear in all of his interviews but like going to a benefit concert to fight climate change is as useless <laughs> as going to a benefit concert to stop an asteroid from hitting the earth Mm-hmm. It does nothing mm-hmm. to change anything. It makes you feel good about yourself. Exactly. All it does is it makes you feel better because it makes you feel like you're doing something. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. You're just raising awareness. Right. And what right. does that do? Right. And it's just like that power of like, that that feeling of powerlessness, you mm-hmm. know, because mm-hmm. essentially it's like what, like a, like maybe seven people in a room actually making decisions about what's going to actually happen to this comment. Right. Right. Um, and so that I made that connection between that and like what what's being laid right now like the groundwork being laid moving forward like all the election predictions predict in the midterms that democrats are going to be wiped out mm-hmm. and you know all these all these changes are happening at the state level that people aren't even paying attention to because i don't know what we're i mean i, I don't blame the general public or you know you know people who care for being distracted right now right i yeah. i can't blame them but People are people are working to subvert democracy, and this is happening. And I don't know. It was it was really dis, it was really a demoralizing watch. And I'm like, I feel powerless. I feel like, what are we doing here? You know? Yeah, it was really jarring to be in a to watch a movie that was that bleak, mm-hmm. but also quite funny. You know, like, and yeah. I think that's the point. Is that like, if it weren't funny nobody would watch it right like it it um it's the sugar that makes the medicine go down mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the um the the dissonance was really striking for me as well one other character that really like it was a very minor appearance but like really cut deep was that one random celebrity who was like hey i'm wearing this pin with an arrow going up and an arrow going down mm-hmm. and it's like this guy's like oh i'm not a don't look upper and i'm not a just look down i just think that we should all get along yeah. And all these divisions are and I'm like, I hate that guy more than anyone else 
in the entire movie. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's the Ange- it's the Andrew Yang character. It's the Andrew Yang not character. Not right, not left, forward. Forward, like, Fuck you know. You. Yeah, get out of here, yeah, you know. Yeah, truly, like, truly. I feel like we've been contending with idiots, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like an idiot. It's like, okay, you are my enemy. But then this person who is also an idiot thinks of himself as not an idiot above, and actually and ab- above and the fray. <laughs> above the fray and way more enlightened than you. Yeah. Is like worse to me <laughs> yeah no that's fair yeah thinking you're above all of this is maybe the worst defense i agree anyways yeah. that's just my little venting but like i said not a great headspace to be in mm. heading into 2022 but yeah I get that's it. where we are what can we say it. i get it um i thought the timothy chalamet character was so like his role at the end of the movie i thought was super interesting so good i loved it I yeah, I did yeah. too. And mm-hmm. I usually am very allergic to evangelical anything, but I yeah. thought it was actually really, it was really well executed. That whole final scene I thought was well executed because I feel mm-hmm. like it was kind of a way of communicating that like at the end of the day, all that matters is your relationships without like getting a hallmark on you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And mm-hmm. then like also at the end of the day, you have nowhere else to go but religion, <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very, like, there are no atheists in foxholes situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, I think, like, I, I that part really resonated with me, too, because I think, like, in, you know, in, the, in my experiences with death and all these things, like, there is a time and a place where religious language um, comes to the rescue, right? Yes, um, when it's I all you have. When it's all you have. And then at weddings as well, I think, like, overly religious or whatever, but I think, like, the, the metaphors and the sort of, like, the you know, the language is useful in kind those kinds of moments, um, yeah, you know, to kind true. of express things that people don't have language for. So I thought yeah. that was really good. Yeah. 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 And I was like surprisingly moved by it. It was, mm-hmm. it just felt it was appropriate. It was not over the top. I thought his character was like super interesting because mm-hmm. my spouse kept laughing about the line where he was like, I hate my parents, but I kind of found my own way back to it. Like, I mm-hmm. think that hit him. <laughs> yeah <laughs> where he lived as like a as somebody who was raised evangelical so anyway mm-hmm. it was just so it was yeah that was well done oh i mean heavy shit man yeah heavy heavy, shit. heavy heavy okay so last time in last episode we were talking a little bit about the holidays and how our life stage has progressed and how sort of expectations around gift giving and tipping has changed alongside of that um And so we kind of wanted to continue on this theme of life stages. Um, And, you know, we kind of touch on these kind of themes and topics a lot in this podcast. It's like one of our favorite things to talk about Mm -hmm. Um, under the big umbrella of adulthood. Right. And we talk a lot about adult like stages of adulthood. Uh, Liz, you are in a specific stage and these things aren't linear. We want to make that clear. But you're in a particular life stage where you're raising a family right now, dealing with, you know, the the responsibilities around parenthood and such. I'm in a life stage where I feel like everything is volatile. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of entering a, you know, every, every, you know, it's kind of like I was single for a while. I was in a serious relationship for a while. And, it, you know, like kind of those kinds of uh, stages over the past few years. And so I kind of, we kind of want to talk a little bit more about adulthood. And I, I think like to ground our discussion, I want to offer a working definition. All right, let's hear it. Here is the definition. <laughs> adulthood is the stage of a person's life that is occupied primarily with the management of one logistical task after another. Hmm. I'm sure that's a very narrow definition of adulthood, but mm-hmm. I think the last few years for me, has just felt like this. It's like one thing or after another. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, once I'm through this, I'll feel settled. And I'll like be able to (laughs) think about stuff. I'll be able to like read and flourish as a person. Mm -hmm. And it's just not happening. It just feels like after one thing is done, the next thing comes. So I'm going to use this as sort of a life update. This past year, here's what I did. I okay, so I I think I shared that I got engaged in our sort of episode finale, right? Yes. Um, I got engaged in LA or in areas around LA, which means my partner and I we moved temporarily um, to avoid COVID winter in the East Coast um, to have a winter in LA, only to land in the peak of LA's COVID (laughs) outbreak. So we moved temporarily to Los Angeles. 
we found a sublet, we got engaged. Um, then we moved back. So yeah, then we got engaged and then we moved back to Manhattan and we had to get a temporary sublet in, in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Once we got that, we executed a months long search for an apartment to buy an apartment. So we had to buy real estate for the first time, which meant we had to get a real estate agent. We had to like get a mortgage lender. We had to do home inspections. We had to like do viewings, uh, do all that of is, that. Ugh, that is its own episode. We could have an entire episode about that. We we will have it once the, tra- <laughs> the trauma of that all subsides. I'll do yeah. that. But yeah. that took months, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, I coordinated an in-person meeting between my partner's parents and my parents so that they could meet. Um, we decided to just go ahead and get married on paper. Ah. Ceremony is coming, but yes, officially we got married on paper, but our parents were there for that. So we had to kind of arrange a little bit of a thing for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so technically got married. Um, then I attended because I think COVID was kind of like subsiding a bit. We attended three weddings. Um, we were supposed to attend four, but one of them got canceled in a hurricane. You know, I couldn't make it. Oh my God. We moved out of our sublet, we closed on our apartment, and we did a soft move into our apartment, and we commenced the process of doing renovations. That's 2021 in a nutshell for me. You did like five years of life in one year. But that's the funny part. So I agree with you. That's like five years of life. That's major life stages and milestones and all that. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I couldn't, I couldn't like fully sit back and enjoy because each of these things required massive logistical coordination. Yes. Working with my partner to figure out what's the best option, what's the best way to do things, even things like a move into a sublet, right? Like Mm got to look at different sublets, you know, compare prices, do research, talk about what kind of like experience we want for those few months, right? Yeah. And moving just sucks. Moving oh sucks gosh. so hard. And you moved how many times? Like also cross country? Like, yeah. It sucks. Five or six times in one year. That is say. bananas. <laughs> bananas. But then because we know everything's temporary, it's like each thing is a tortured, like, what do we bring? What do we not bring? What yes. do we leave here? <laughs> you know, like we have stuff in the West Coast that we don't have to bring in and haul it in the, yeah, to the East Coast the, and vice versa. You got to think about weather. You got to think about duration. You got to think about, oh my God, it's, oh. I'm, I am stressed thinking about it. I need to go sit down. <laughs> and it reminds me of this episode in The Crown where, you know, the king is obsessed with this this idea of these astronauts, like, going to the moon and landing. Mm-hmm. And he is just obsessed with this idea of, like, you know, like, and he, he wants to ask all these questions about, like, what is it, like, what have you learned? Or what, 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 what do you know about human, like, these kind of existential questions. Mm-hmm. And the astronauts were like... Oh, actually, all we were focused on was like making sure the dials were correct and yeah. like the you know the fuel gauges were working properly that we can experience it. And that's how it felt like, you know. Yeah. I got married for Christ's sakes, and like yeah. all I was thinking about was like, like what venue we were going to do that you know could we could do a walking thing for our parents that you know, and we have to do Italian food because they like Italian food. Like, where can we do it? Something like that, right? Yeah. And worrying about the weather, and then like before you know it, you're saying your vows, and you're like, wait, what? What's happening yeah. right now? <laughs> I'm doing what now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in the back of my mind this whole time, I'm thinking like, okay, once all the dust is settled, this is a crazy year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, we're going to stand and we're going to just enjoy being a couple. We're going to just like, you know, like thrive at our work or, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> have hobbies and like these things. But no, like the next thing up now is like planning a wedding ceremony and yeah. then like rent- finishing our renovations and and this, that, or the other. So logistics have been just like really in the top of my mind to the point where I'm like, is this like a foundational aspect of what it means to be an adult? And I'm just curious from your vantage point, Liz, because I'm sure you had a crazy year 2021. um, And like in the life stage that you're at, like, what does adulthood look like? Is it like just logistical task after another? Is that all there's time for? Um, What what does it look like for you? I mean, this definition really resonates with me because I don't feel like I really became an adult until I had a child. And I mean, this is in no way to say that people who don't have children ever become adults because I don't think that's true at all. But like with no other milestone, like no other milestone comes with the level of just sheer banal logistics as having (laughs) a child. You know what I mean? Uh Like, yes, it's magical and it's transcendent, but it also means just relentless 
constant caretaking of a tiny person who can't communicate any of their needs. You know what I mean? And just having to do everything for this person. So I think a natural like follow-up question to your to the, the definition that you proposed is like, then what about all of your life before this year, right? Because you are already 37, right? And so you have technically been an adult for almost 20 years. So what do you call everything before this year, right? And for me personally, like I spent my 20s in graduate school, which is very much not real life. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I had a few years when I was like working and, but my spouse was in graduate school. So that also does not really feel like adulthood, um, because we were at least partially subsidized by the government and it just felt like we did not have major responsibilities. So would it be fair to say then you, you started first feeling like an adult when you had your first child, is that? Yeah, I mean, I I really feel like for me that is when adulthood kicked in, mm-hmm. and I was thirty two at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really felt. I mean, I'm only speaking for myself. Yeah, but for me, when I think back on my years, you know, there was like this window of time when, in between grad, for me, in between grad school and having a kid, when I was like, it was just me and my partner live in life and in some way like it's so charming and quaint to think about us at that time because it feels kind of like we're playing house (laughs) um but i mean it did not feel like real major responsibility i did you know until until i had the kid also because you know we were renting we were renting at the time so like we didn't have like the burdens of home ownership and I don't know. I feel like I, I joke with my friends that like it's either home like you you don't become an adult really until like home ownership or having a kid. Mm-hmm. And um it's not a coincidence perhaps that like those are two of the most logistically difficult things that you can undertake. And that those I think are both the introduction of constant logistical hassles. Because as soon as you buy a house, you have to start thinking about renovations, you have to think about like upkeep, maintenance mm-hmm. of the house is mm-hmm. so much fucking work. Um, having a kid, as I've already said, is so much constant day-to-day grind work. So yeah, I, 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 this, I, that your definition resonates with me, mm-hmm. I think. Cause it sounds like you have more of a, a thread of like response, personal responsibility in your, in your conception of adulthood. Right. Like, I think like w- when it's like graduate school and stuff, there are obviously logistics and stuff in place, but it's sort of like, I didn't feel like an adult. I felt like a student. Yes. Right, even though maybe yeah. I was like twenty nine or twenty eight mm-hmm. or or whatnot, like thirty or thirty one, mm-hmm. so age wise, I might be considered an adult. But like, yeah. I felt like a student, and part of being a student is like you don't really like you know you you don't really cook, you don't really like you're not you're not, <laughs> you're not like paying for upkeep or anything like this. You're just existing as a learning person. Yeah, right. You're not and contributing the, super meaningfully to society. I mean, right. you are in that all research is done on your back, but like. I did not feel like I was offering a ton at that point in my life. So, I mean, to your point, I think there is a point. I mean, like logistics definitely preceded this relationship that I'm in, right? Mm -hmm. But none of those logistics, like it didn't affect anybody else. It just affected affected me. And therefore, I didn't really feel like I was responsible for anything, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, I think when... I entered my relationship, it's like suddenly these things impacted somebody else and therefore I became responsible. And I'm wondering to what extent then that's like entwined with what it means to be an adult. Yeah, that's so interesting. This idea of like interdependence. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I don't know, like, are we, I mean, like you're at a life stage where I think most people obviously consider you an adult. You're not only responsible for your partner, but for two kids and such. Mm -hmm. And like, are we... I don't know, are we doomed to a life of logistics just swamping us and everything? Or is there is there some expanded definition that can like get us to a more, I don't know, like <laughs> like a less like cluttered version of it or something? I mean, I'm sure that there is a loftier definition of adulthood that we could also get on board with. But uh-huh. in terms of like the day-to-day reality, I mean, I think that your definition captures it. <laughs> <laughs> I say this as I, you know, I've had two days of canceled school because of Omicron. Um, and so I've like been taking care of two children all day. And like, 
uh, yeah, I'm, th- my life feels like a series of logistical ta- tasks more than anything else right now. Like, okay, so it shuts down. So what are some of the things, what are some of the major points that you have to like figure out with your partner? I mean, we are lucky, not lucky in that my job is flexible enough where I can drop, I can just, I can put it aside, but it just means that like, I have a shit ton of work that needs to be done another time. And I'm also not making as much money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, uh, there are costs to this flexibility. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just basically become like a snack butler all day and <laughs> the kids get shit tons of screen time while I try to like squeeze in the things that I need to keep my jobs functioning. So then does your work, do you just then work like after your kids go to sleep then? I work Is when they why? go to sleep. Yeah. I um I live in active denial about the amount of work that I want to do or that I need to do. Like <laughs> there's no other way. You just have to compartmentalize or else you will die. Like the, the stress will consume you. And right now, the most pressing matter is that, like, my children need to be fed and entertained for these two days, you know? So um, I cannot think about the amount of work that awaits me on the other side or all the consequences of not doing the work now, all the things that are being delayed because it will completely consume me. So I have a colleague um, who has two kids and, you know, she does the same job I do. We have the same title and everything. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, for me, just even without kids, I'm like, just being able to do this job enough is is pretty challenging for me, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, for me, I, I recognize that because I don't have kids. You know, I get times to just have a break and just yeah. refresh and recharge. And I'm very grateful for that. So I, I ask her, like, how do you do it? And she's just like, you just have to be okay with doing a shitty job at everything. Yes. You know? And I was like, wow. That's like, wow. That is That is the realist. And, like, I feel like in the pandemic, like, that is the mantra. So um, we put together a career panel discussion at our work. It was Uh for um, basically the the concept was um, senior Asian American staff members at our organization Mm -hmm. speaking to other Asian. It was like part of our employee resource group, Asian group that we wanted to put together. And there was this one guy who is kind of like, he, he's pretty high up. He's like one of the fellows in our Institute. Mm-hmm. Okay. But he, the panelists were given this kind of like um, question about how do you, it's a very classic question about how do you balance like. Mm. like how do you do it all, sir? Exactly. <laughs> like how do you achieve those things? And he has three kids, three grown kids at this wow. point. Wow. Oh my God. That's a lot. But he is and, a man. But he is a man. Exactly. And this is the thing that I wanted to pose to you because he gave this advice that I found initially I thought was like, oh, very interesting because it was so counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. But then, but then the more I dealt with, the more I sat with it, I was like, is this, is this good advice? I wasn't really sure. So I want to pose it to you. So this is what he said. He said, mm-hmm. in his experience, the way that it happened for him was that his list of priorities, right? It, they were like, it was like he had his kids. So the kids were the priority. Mm-hmm. Then I think it was like his partner and then his job or something like this. Or no, no, no. Sorry. It was like kids partner no kids job partner and then himself kids job partner himself or something like that that's the way he did it he he framed it as a mistake he said that i put my kids as the priority Uh then my job or partner i'm not sure which order he had it okay if job was above partner he's fired (laughs) <laughs> exactly so okay let's just say partner for the benefit of the doubt okay. but he was framing this as a mistake by the way and then last place he put himself like uh-huh. i prioritize myself the last yeah so his advice for everybody was number one you have to prioritize yourself hmm. because if you don't prioritize yourself you're no good to everybody everything else hmm. next priority is your partner mm-hmm. and then the kids and then the job right mm-hmm. that's how if he could do it all over again he he would do it like that would be his advice yeah and this part was really interesting because i think for all the people i know like kids just even if you don't prioritize them it's like just to keep those kids alive and i'm sure he's talking about kids at different stages maybe when they're like young it's like you you can't afford to not prioritize yeah yeah exactly you can't be going out and reading a book while they're like crying on the whatever right 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 but I think the the larger idea was basically like first you have to make sure he he was especially insistent on the first point. It's like he's somebody who really really needs to like read and replenish his mind and his energy and all these kinds of things. 
and he found that he wasn't doing that enough and it everything else suffered his partnership suffered his like his his ability to provide for his children suffered all of that suffered mm-hmm. then he said before your kids prioritize your partner now i mean like this isn't a rank order thing but his whole point was partner it's like maybe it's like maybe it's counterintuitive but it's like you have to be solid with your partner if you're going to be good there be there for your kids right yeah. mm-hmm. and then the kids like and then like the whole job thing so i don't know does that does that resonate in some kind of way for you is that t- dangerously out of touch like what i is mean this? i think that's true in an ideal world mm-hmm. right in an ideal world you prioritize your own needs you put your mask on before you help anybody else with their mask um you know, like, but at least at this point in my life, and I, my children are young, so this is the lens through which I'm seeing things. Like, it's I don't see how it's possible for the immediate needs of the children to not supersede everything, mm-hmm. because they are there are so many and they are so all consuming. Um, so I would love, especially like we're having such like a self care moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like. I would love to be like, yes, you know, definitely take care of yourself first, blah, blah, blah. But like it's how, like, I don't, I don't fully understand how that's possible. Mm-hmm. And I also, I'm sure that like my own upbringing as like an Asian American woman who has been like raised to take care of everybody else first is also like, does not compute to this advice. But, um, on both that level and the practical level, I don't see how that's possible. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with putting your relationship with your partner above your kids, which uh, mm-hmm. in theory, which might be controversial to some, but like um, he's not wrong about that, right? Mm-hmm. Like your relationship with your partner is the foundation of everything. And if you're not solid with your partner, like uh, your life with your family is tough. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. really tough. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I too would like to say that that should be number two. But when the kids are all consuming, like that is, you know, yourself and your partner are like the first things to go and you mm-hmm. need the job to keep the kids alive. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, actually, now that I say that out loud, maybe kids job partner self was not, maybe he's not fired. <laughs> maybe that is just what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just like, I think that that is, those are, those are the headwinds that we're striving again. And I guess like where I'm trying to like what I'm trying to like verbalize or verbalize with you is if this is, if we say like adulthood is this just like logistical task of, in your case, like keeping two tiny humans alive and then, and then all the other stuff like after that is just like scrambling to try to keep afloat at work and then like making sure, you know, you and your partner are not at your, like each other's throats or whatnot. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If that is like, 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 is there a, is there another reframing or is there another model that we can aspire to? Or is this just so, it's just so like immediate in its like needs that it's like, it's hard to even think of another model, you know? Cause oh. I, I kind of feel like most parents, almost all parents I talk to have some version of this, right? Some yeah. version. And you know, when, when you say, oh yeah, make sure you take care of yourself. It sounds good in theory, but it's mm-hmm. like, what does that even mean? You know? Yeah. I feel I'm thinking about these four things and I'm like, it's not, I'm like, is it even pick three? It might be pick two, honestly. Mm-mm. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like right now, if I were to be totally frank, like the things that are thriving are my kids and my partner mm-hmm. or my relationship with my partner, uh, mm-hmm. the job and the self <laughs> taking a real beating at this moment. Um, and I guess, you know, could be, I mean, if I had to, if I had to choose which of the things were doing well, maybe those are the two I would choose. But like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is bananas. Like, yeah, I, I, especially in this particular pandemic moment, I like, I think you can, maybe you can only have two of those things. Mm. If that, if that thing that he was talking about, that hierarchy or that, that order or prioritization is a quote unquote healthy model, maybe mm-hmm. as your kids grow, like it kind of shifts more in that direction. Yes. Um, I think that's true. I think that's true. Yeah. 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 But, um, but I thought you brought up another important thing is that, that other layer of like, you know, what it's like to be an Asian parent. Right. Mm-hmm. And, or I mean, Asian, like Asian sort of cultural norms around like, and how Asian parent like asian are asian parents thought about like 
raising kids and like how I grew up in a household, for example, where my parents would like give up everything for me, you know, and for yes. my sister. Yeah. And so the, the, that's the model in which like I don't have kids, but I imagine that that would be very instinctive for me is to like mm-hmm. throw myself away in order to 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 raise the kids. God, throw um, myself away in order to raise the kids is like the tagline for <laughs> Asian parenting, truly. Yeah. But I, I feel like that runs up against a lot of like sort of Western, more Western slash Americanized ideas of parenting. Yes. Right? And everything about self-care, this whole mm-hmm. self-care moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brush it runs up against all those things. I totally understand now why people, women especially, after they're done having kids, spin out. Mm. Because, you know, you go through this period in your life like you are a normal person, right? For like 30-ish years, you live your life and then all of a sudden you dive into this all-consuming, I don't want to say hole, but like it's kind of a hole, right? And mm-hmm. it just like completely overtakes you. It overtakes your body. It overtakes your mental space. It overtakes everything. And then after they like get into school, you finally have like a little bit more time to breathe. And then you resurface and you have to figure out who you are Mm. and like what you want your life to be for at this point, Mm. you know, Mm. and Mm. you're a new person now, right? Like you, you've had this like incredibly transformative experience and you have to make some decisions about like how you want to lose, use your life. And, um, I feel this so keenly. Because, like, I know what I wanted from my life before I had kids. And I have been saying that these are the things that I still want for the last six years. But now that it's actually getting closer, I'm like, oh, shit, is this really what I want? Mm -hmm. I need to reassess this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a different person now. And also the world is different now, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, a lot of what I did before I had kids was like I wrote a lot about like Asian Americans in the racial landscape. There weren't a lot of people doing that in 2014, mm-hmm. but now there are kind of a there are at least there are people doing that now, and that mm-hmm. wasn't true before. And now I'm like, okay, so what is my place like in all of this? Um, so yeah, I feel like especially now that like you know it's only a matter of months before my younger kid goes to school full time, and like I I feel like I need to spend some real time figuring out like what I want this next 30 years of my life to be about, which is kind of major and exciting and terrifying at the same time, because it could be very different than what the first 30 years of my life were about. I don't know if it means anything, but I think my understanding of midlife crisis, almost like it comes about for people who don't think about those things. And then the moment hits and it's like, they're not prepared for it. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's just Mm -hmm. my thought about it. So the fact that you're even self, like being able to self-reflect on it, like I think is a, is great. But you know, like I, I was talking about this with one of my closest friends who I think is at a similar juncture in a different area. It's like, it's not so much professional. Like, I think it totally makes sense to me now why people and especially women, because, you know, parenthood is so all consuming, especially for women for biological and sociological reasons. Um, it makes sense to me why people come out of this time questioning a major part of their life, whether it is their career, what it, whether it's their relationship. You know what I mean? Like, it just it makes so much sense to me now. And so I feel like this year is an inflection point, And I feel like it's in a way like a shedding of the skin mm. of what was from before so that like I can grow into the new snake that I've been to. <laughs> <laughs> well oh it God. is the year of the snake coming up Wait, it's it? the year no, of the tiger oh. well that would have been great if it was but you know and just like bringing it in like you know obviously i think in our discussion adulting is more than just logistics um mm-hmm. but i think another big part of it is having to live with these big questions right yeah. sometimes they get answered and sometimes they get answered for us and just living with it right yeah Big life-altering decisions. Big. Our top five this week, we're talking about New Year's resolutions. We are in 2022. Yes. um, And, you know, I've never, ever had a year where I've kept my resolutions. And so this year, I want to do it a little bit differently. 
Okay. I would like to make it more like a bucket list item. Oh, like think I like that. I like that so much better. New Year's resolutions so often boil down to just like be better. Yeah. And it's so vague. It's going to be a change. I kind of feel like I I totally agree with you about resolution. I feel like it's a long list of things I failed at in the previous year that I would like to (laughs) do. And then then I just feel bad about them because I continue to fail at it. So this year, it's bucket list items. Okay. So here it is. uh, Top five resolution slash bucket list items for me. Number Uh five is to see LeBron James play before he retires. Whoa, that is so good. Is he talking about it? I'm very out of the loop. Well, he is 36. 738 you know michael jordan retired when he was 36 you know lebron is built different than anybody but there is going to be a point in which he retires right yeah and basketball is just it's hard on the body and everything so so hard yeah yeah god that's a really good one thank you that's really good that's like kind of like um people who like flock to duke to watch zion williamson play before Mm -hmm. he went pro i'm like that's like a worthy cause yeah I'm I'm all about with sports and such doesn't matter the sport it's like if there is like a generational player I feel like mm-hmm. it's worth everybody's time whether you're into sports or not to go watch that generational agreed. player agreed yeah agreed yeah um I got to see Lionel Messi play in person and oh it is God. truly one of the most like vivid experiences of my life wow yeah that's yeah, that's bananas. Uh, so that's my number five. Love my that. number four is to see, try to see one natural wonder. Mm. It, there are like seven natural wonders. Uh-huh. And if I can't see one of those, there's like, I'll, maybe I'll expand my list to some kind of like nat- natural wonder, which we all acknowledge is a natural wonder. So like okay. a few years ago, I made it a point. Actually, my, my travel... Uh, logic or my travel impetus was to see natural wonders for a while. And I felt like it was such a better, it was such a great, cause it used to be all about cities for me, like seeing mm, cities mm-hmm. and that was wonderful. But then when I switched to being like, I am actually traveling to see this waterfall in Iguazu. It was like a really, it was, it made the trip like really a whole other thing. Mm. So it was really great. So I'd like that's to be awesome. able to do that again. So that's my number four. Love that. Um, my number three I just moved to New York. As I mentioned before, I closed on an apartment. Mm, The dream. The dream. Um, And, you know, hey, while in Rome, you know, or in this case, New York City, eat at a Michelin star restaurant. Nice. Nice. It's not hard. Treat yourself. Yeah. And I mean, Tim Ho Wan is in New York now. And that's a Michelin star. It's a barbecue. The the dim sum place. The Michigan, the Michelin star, I believe, is their Hong Kong location. Uh Uh-huh. But it's like the cheapest Michelin star eating you can get. It's like dim sum. It's a bar. They're famous for their barbecue pork bun. Ooh, okay, yeah. yes, that sounds like up my alley. Yes, <laughs> I'm more. I don't know about you. I'm more of a street food person. I'm more yes. of like a cheap eats. Like you know, I like LA's like food scene very much. Yes. Uh, over over, let's say like fine dining. Not that they're binary choices, but but once in a while, treating yourself to a nice restaurant, pretty pretty good thing to have as a resolution. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Um, my number two is I would like to travel for leisure. Oh. Um, I, well, pandemic last two years, I think it's a common story. Not a lot of people have traveled uh, for leisure outside the U.S. I mean, most of my travel has come through work and mm. I'm very lucky that, you know, I got to go to these places. But surprisingly, relatively few places I've actually just traveled out of my own pocket for hmm. just leisure. So it's been it's been like a couple years. So I'd like to, you know, I think I mentioned to you that I was really, really tired of traveling. If I never had to do it again, I'd be fine with it. But I, I think that was totally remember you saying that. <laughs> I think that was podcast. burnout. Yeah. I think that was burnout. And it, you know, to be fair, a lot of my travel was wrapped up in work. So uh-huh. um so it'd be great to just go somewhere for leisure. Where was the last place you went just for fun? Was it Uruguay? I think that's right. That's so crazy. That was a long time ago. Because a lot of my a lot of my traveling for leisure has been piggybacking on work trips, right? Which is a glorious perk of your previous career. Huge perk. Huge perk. Yeah. All right. And my number one is I would like to learn some kind of a formal dance. What? Whether that's ballroom or salsa, 
something like this. I did not see that coming, Chris. Didn't see it coming. I yeah. I mean, is it because you look at me when I dance and say you don't need formal training <laughs> at all? That must be the no. Reason. I have never heard you express an interest in. Le- I mean, not in dancing, but in learning how to dance. Yeah, I just think it's like a fun, like it like combines a lot of things. So it's like, it's physical. So you get some exercise in. Uh-huh. It's a fun, vibey scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> it comes handy in weddings. I was going to say, are we going to get to see any of this? What's the point of uh, learning how to dance if you don't show it off? <laughs> show it off at your own wedding. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily my wedding. I don't need to learn from my wedding, but other people's weddings, I would like to... I would like to be noticed for my salsa skills, for example. Okay, okay, sure, sure. Or you know what was really impressive? You know where the seed came from? So I went to this wedding where there was this like really old couple. I was talking about like they're even in their 70s. Mm-hmm. And this song came on where it was like this old, you know, it was like kind of like almost like swing, but it's not swing. It's like the foxtrot maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah, it must have been the foxtrot. Like nobody in our generation knew how to do this. But so they were the only two that were up there doing the foxtrot. And they look so good. That's awesome. And it's not like they were like being all moving and they're 70 something. They they weren't moving that fast, but because they were so coordinated and they look so good, I was like, "Dang. I want to learn how to do that." Yeah. Yep. So don't you think that this list is much more achievable than like a standard resolutions list? Yeah, more attainable in some ways, but also difficult to attain in other ways. Does that make sense? It's not like the shit on my list basically. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is more feasible to achieve than Uh-huh exercising routinely which is like most people's resolution that's fair that's fair but you need some capital to do to be able to do these things yes 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 and not two kids that are you know can you imagine with two kids like hey take care of yourselves i'm gonna go ballroom dance i mean i mean people have parents have hobbies people do it so Ah, uh, okay. Your list is way more glamorous than mine for sure, because mine <laughs> is just an ordinary list I think this is somewhat reflective of our two life stages as we discussed. Yes, that's also true. That's also true. Yes. Pre-kids, post-kids. So my number five is number five because it's it's the one that is I am like the most serious about. Like it desperately needs to happen, but I have it on my list every year and it's never happened. So go to bed earlier. Oh my God, Chris, why am I such a dummy? And it's like year flirting with year like year three of this pandemic and I am still going to bed late like an idiot, even though I'm exhausted. Do you know the term revenge bedtime procrastination? No, but I'm oh, obsessed. Yes. my. Because you know immediately what it is, yes, right? Yes. The first time I heard it, like you, I was like, I've never heard it before, yet I 100% <laughs> know what it is, and I 100% identify with it. And in the little that's been written about it, they talk a lot about how like, parents of young children are especially prone to this because after you've spent all day in service of a young child, when they go to bed, all you want is like a fucking minute to yourself. And that usually ends up with you scrolling on the internet until way later than you're supposed to. (laughs) So this is me. And I, yeah, I just need to go to the fuck to bed is the moral (laughs) of the story. It's gotten bad lately. I go to bed between like 11 and midnight. And my kids are up at six, rain or shine, and I'm not a child anymore. I cannot, my 38-year-old body cannot handle this. So that's my number five. My number four, um, talking about adulthood, I, I there are just so many things when you own a house that you need to do on a regular basis that are simply impossible to keep up with. I was just talking about this with my girlfriends. Um You're supposed to deep clean your carpet every year. You're supposed to wash your sheets every week. You are supposed to change your smoke alarm batteries every year and on and on and on and on and on. Um, And I have, I, I do not do many of these things. Um, My spouse, I learned this year on January 1st, does a few things specifically that I've never really noticed before, but now I'm very grateful for that. He like changes the batteries and the smoke alarm every January 1st, which is great. Thank God I haven't been doing it. So I'm glad someone's doing it. Um, And I just feel like I need to adopt something. And so I think that I need to just start adopting some kind of cleaning something 
it's not going to happen across the board for every part of my house, but I need to pick up something, whether it's like deep cleaning my carpets or something. Dishwasher maintenance. Yo, you know there's like a filter in there you're supposed to like manually clean by hand. I'm only, I, just... I, I am only now learning about these things because I am now a newly minted homeowner. So right, yes. but I've, I've used the dishwasher in rentals for years <laughs> and never knew that they're like, and there's also parts of your like washer and dryer you're supposed to manually clean. It's, I, I do That's... not know about any of this. You're supposed to run your washer or dryer like, like by itself to clean it, apparently, at some kind of interval. I don't know anything about this. But truly, you could not hold down a job and do all these things. I'm pretty sure. This this is kind of like the nature of what we should have been talking about earlier. Yeah, just, but yes, totally. Yes. It's like either it's like job, kids, routine, home maintenance. <laughs> so yeah, uh, and my number three, my number three is okay. So we at the very beginning of our podcast, we talked about our like newfound commitments my newfound commitments to skin and now and your newfound commitment was to teeth mm-hmm. and i am now making the jump i am making a newfound commitment to teeth i'm going to start using an electric toothbrush this year ooh i am fucking almost 39 years old and i have not done it yet and it is there's just no excuses for it except that i hate change and i've used a regular toothbrush for like 36 years so i have procured the toothbrush it is sitting plugged in uh, in my bathroom, but I don't have time to read the manual, so I do not know when this is actually gonna this transition is gonna take place. But it has to take place. Liz, I can I give you a piece of advice? Please, no manual needed. Just do it today. Just do it. Just do it. I mean, and yeah, you you could you'll figure it out. You'll okay. get the hang of it. I take it you use an electric toothbrush. I do, yeah, but no no manual needed. Just dive right in. How the manual is procrastination? That's mm, you say that. But I feel like I need to know the rules before I get into it. Um, I just need to step up my oral hygiene game. I was like a model dental patient until like June when they were like, you've rotted your teeth out with candy. And I was like, fuck. And now yeah. electric toothbrush. I've been scared. Yes. Yo, teeth problems, terrifying. No. And they're just, ugh, they're so, they seem so trivial and like less important than real medical issues but they fuck up your life they do it's awful so okay that's yeah. my number three uh my number two i have been like thinking about like a writing idea for the last i don't know like seven months and made no progress on it because i have um too many kids but i was talking it through with my bff l- last week and she is in addition to being a medical doctor she has an mba and so she thinks a lot about like strategy and like you know, helping people implement new programs. And she just like helps me figure out how to like start this thing. And so now I have no excuses other than potentially my kids being in virtual school, uh, which was not expected. But um, I feel like I would really like to get started on it. So that's my number two. Lovely. Uh, Thank you. And my number one is quitting things. I need to quit like a lot of things this year. Um. I don't know about you, Christopher. I don't know if it was the specific brand of Asian America that I was raised in, but like I have been overcommitted since I was in high school, um, just doing too many activities and driving myself into the ground doing them. And it always happens. Um, but I feel like we've reached like a real breaking point here because I have mm. all these kids and it's a pandemic and it's just like not possible. And I think mm-hmm. I can't remember if I've talked about this on the show previously, but like it's hard when there are so many things that are interesting to you and like you're, you know, every, all these opportunities are cool and involve people that I want to work with. You know what I mean? Like there's just um, lots of things here are interesting, but I will drive myself into the ground if I. Uh, don't quit a few things and I'm very bad at quitting things because I'm also a people pleaser so I just need to like rip the band-aid off and like get out of some things that like just don't fit anymore with my life can I say that I love the idea of quitting being your number one resolution thank you it's so it's kind of like 
from a popular conception, it's kind of counterintuitive, but it makes all the sense in the world because it makes room for these other resolutions. Yeah, you know? thanks. I really appreciate that. Okay, Chris, we have talked about all, I mean, we've covered it all today. What should we, what should our top five be next time? Um, you know what? Let's go back to our roots of just pop culture. Okay. Why don't we just talk about our top five favorite TV characters of all time? I am stoked. That's going to be a fun I'm one. Stoked. It is going to be a fun one. I can't wait. This was fun. It was fun. Let's do it again in a couple weeks. Sounds great. That was close. <laughs> close enough. What was it? <laughs>